Hello, everybody, and welcome to Legends of the Batman. I am Michael Bradley. I am Michael Kaiser. This is episode eight, and for those just joining us, the premise of the show is pretty simple. We are covering everything Batman from the beginning. Each episode, we take a look at all Batman, or all Batman material from a particular month, starting with his earliest appearance in 1939. This time out, we will be looking at Batman material from November 1939, which is still just one comic book, Detective Comics number 34. Uh, the momentum's building. Yes, we're, we're uh, closing in pretty fast when we're not going to have just the one comic every episode. So no. Kind of looking forward to that a little bit. Uh, yeah, we are right now, but <laughs> once it happens, we might be wishing for these uh, good old days again. But Yeah. Uh, before we get into things, though, I tell you what, we have some of the – I think we have some of the best listeners in the world because just last episode, I made a comment that we had not received any iTunes reviews. And a couple days later, I got onto iTunes, and lo and behold, there was an iTunes review. Yay. Which, Yeah, which is especially fantastic because even as recording this, it's still going to be a good, what, three weeks? Until the last episode we did comes yeah, out, right? And it, so it's like our listeners know what we're gonna say before we even say it. Yeah, and he's gonna hear that and go, "Hey, I did too write you a review." Yeah. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so a big thank you to uh, Charlie Niemeyer for giving us our first iTunes review. Uh, and his his review read: Mike and Mike have set out on a long journey to cover every adventure of Batman from the beginning. And I, for one, plan to be along for the long haul. These guys really show an affection for the characters as well as a good grasp of the character's history. Trust me when I say give this show a listen. Awesome. So, thank you very much, Charlie. Uh, Charlie is the host of Superman in the Bronze Age. Yep. Where he's been going through the various Bronze Age Superman stories. So I, he puts out a good show as well. So it's good to hear from him. Yeah, and we've been uh, uh, putting his promo in our in our most recent show. So. Make mm-hmm. sure you make sure you tune in and, and check out his podcast. It's pretty good. Yes. Um, and we also have three new emails for this episode. And the first one is from let's see, Glade Packer, and it says, "Hey guys, I just finished listening to episode five of your amazing show." Um, and let me editorialize here and say I think he means episode four. I hope. Yes. Yes, I replied to him, and he he got his numbers confused. Unless he's figured out how to hack our. Or our count or something, but yeah. <laughs> All right, so I just finished listening to episode, quote, four of your amazing show, and to risk sounding like a broken record, I love it. I'm not a huge fan of the other stories in the comics besides Batman, but I do like hearing about them, at least briefly, as it shows what else was out there at the time. I'm way glad you guys started at the beginning, as that's how I like to start my comic reading as well. Not sure if it's just me or not, but it seems a lot of comic book podcasts I listen to are starting at the very beginning, and I appreciate that, as there aren't any retcons yet, so it's very easy to follow. Keep up the amazing work, and as always, looking forward to the next episode of Batman Badassery, Glade. We had originally uh, talked about starting at the end, but that was going (laughs) to make for a very short-lived podcast. Right, right. We were going to do a a bizarro Batcast and (laughs) just go backwards. That would be pretty interesting. It would be. <laughs> and I'm not sure if uh, starting in the beginning has actually helped stories make sense, but no. it, it is kind of nice to see how you know familiar trappings yeah. uh, develop over each issue. Yeah. The next email is from Professor Allen, or Professor Blog, depending on if you read his from name or the how he signed it. But anyway, it says... Michaels, I am enjoying your show. Glad to have a Batman podcast to go along with all the shows Superman has. I have started following the stories along in the, excuse me, I have started following along with the stories in the Chronicles thanks to my local library. One thing I really enjoy, especially compared to the early Superman, is the variety of panel layouts these early stories have had. Early Superman stories were most always a 3 by 3 layout, every panel the exact same size. I noted that the story in issue 30, in particular, contains a wide range of panel widths and and even different panel heights. I have also enjoyed the handful of panels in these stories that don't contain any narratives or word balloons. The art variety helps move the story along. Keep up the good work, guys. Professor Allen, Central Ohio. Thanks, Professor Allen. And it's it's interesting that he would bring up the the page layout because I've noticed that, too, Uh on, on really... A lot of the Golden Age stories from DC around this time had that 
uh, eight-panel grid. And from what I've read, that was something that Vin Sullivan instituted. But how Bob Kane got away with doing the various, you know, layouts, I don't know. Do you think maybe with Superman it was because he started out as an idea for a comic strip instead of a book, maybe? And so that's just the well, way their stories were processed at well, that though, point? You, well, not necessarily, though, because if you look at, like, the first six or seven stories, they're not in that strict grid. Oh, okay. Because they... Schuster was playing around with different page layouts, but then around the seventh or eighth story, they started going with the, the strict layout. They probably just found that it was faster because you don't have to, you know. It could be, yeah. Think, think it's hard to lay something out. Right. Um, but yeah, I agree with uh, with Professor Allen. I think I actually I think when I first started reading these, I was kind of um, complimenting Bob Kane on his you know artistry, but I've since kind of changed my opinion a little bit on that, but. I do think some of the layouts are pretty cool, and I I definitely love the um, the panels that have no caption or dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really sets the mood. It's really good stuff. The, the biggest detriment to Kane's art for me so far is that he just keeps repeating the same poses. Yeah, yeah see, so when He's, we first started, we hadn't seen that yet, and now we're right. now yeah. we're seeing it all the time, and it's getting on my nerves. But um, but yeah, it's still it still can be fairly interesting when he tries. Mm-hmm. Uh, last email we have is from Billy Hogan and Billy Hogan does a podcast called the Superman fan podcast. And I had requested that he send me his promo because he was nice enough to plug our show on his last episode as of this recording. Um, so he wrote back, um, Michael, here's the promo for my podcast as you requested. Also, let me take this opportunity to let you and Michael Bradley know how much I'm enjoying the Legends of the Batman podcast. In one of your earlier episodes, I think you talked about how the city Batman operated in wasn't mentioned in the earliest stories. It reminded me of a Batman trivia page I read in one of the Batman issues of the mid-1970s when they had 100 pages or so each issue with a new story in the front and reprints in the rest of the issue. One of the items on that trivia page was about how New York City was mentioned in some very early stories as Batman's base, before the creators settled on the name Gotham City. Keep up the great work. Batman is my second favorite DC superhero, after Superman, of course. Billy Hogan. Well, thanks, Billy. Yeah, thank you very much, and thanks for the plug on your show. Mm-hmm. And as as listeners will have no doubt noticed by now, they, they have referenced New York in two stories. Yep. So we still haven't gotten to Gotham yet, but that's coming up soon, I think. Right. They said uh, the first time they said just like New York skyline, and I think the second time was actually they said uh, Manhattan. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Right, Manhattan. So, um, so for this episode, we'll be talking about uh, one comic book, as we already said, Detective Comics number thirty-four. Uh, it was published with a cover date of December nineteen thirty-nine. Uh, it has an approximate release date of November seventh, nineteen thirty-nine, courtesy of Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. The cover price was ten cents, and the editor was. Vincent Sullivan. The cover, which was drawn by Craig Flessel, um, has a what appears to be crim- the Crimson Avenger picking up a man over his head and looking like he's going to throw him overboard. The Grand Comics database credits this as the Crimson Avenger, but I don't know because the Crimson Avenger is not in this story, so that kind of doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it was it was reprinted in it. There was a Crimson Avenger miniseries in 1988. And this cover was reprinted in the first issue of that. So Okay, so DC thinks it's the Crimson Avenger. Anyway. Right, right. Um, it seems like the colors are off. I mean, he has the mask and the fedora and all that, but he's not Crimson, so... Well, I wondered if it was maybe drawn to be the Crimson Avenger, but then uh, since when, when they realized that he wasn't in this issue and hadn't been for, what, five issues now, they just colored it green instead it, or orange or whatever it is instead of red. Yeah, you got to wonder how, how far ahead they made these covers, you know, maybe... Right. Maybe it was a stock cover lying around. And there's some other uh, kind of weirdness with covers around this time, too. I had a note about it later on. Okay. Uh, but, I don't know, it's just some strangeness. Cool. So. Golden Age strangeness. Yeah. Um, but this is the last non-Batman cover until uh, Detective Comics number 854. Wow. Published in 2009. So. That's because of what? what Batman happens? being cool. No, oh, what happens in 800 oh, and whatever. Oh, Batwoman. The new oh. Batwoman. The, well, new as in when oh, they go this. That counts. So, that counts. Yeah, Still I guess. Still a Bat character. Yeah. But Batman, there wasn't a Batman story in the book at that point anymore. Yeah. But he still represents. Um, okay, so the first story is our Batman feature. Uh, it's 10 pages. It's called, eventually called, 
Peril in Paris when it's reprinted. I think initially it has no title. It's by Gardner Fox and the usual, actually the usual cast of characters that we've been talking about the last three or four issues. It's a script by Gardner Fox, pencils by Bob Kane, um, inks by Bob Kane and Sheldon Maldoff, and letters by Sheldon Maldoff. This is the last uh, Gardner Fox story for quite a while. He'll write one more in 1947. But other than that, we won't see Gardner Fox writing the character until the mid-60s, when he writes quite a few Batman stories as well as the Justice League of America stories that have Batman in them. So yeah. We haven't been enjoying the Gardner Fox ones too much, so... No, not not especially sorry to see him go, but yeah. um, we could talk more about that after I summarize this story. Yes. <laughs> so uh, the story opens with a caption that reads... The Batman, having rescued his fiancée Julie from a sinister figure named the Monk, sees her safely on board a boat for America. He is to follow her later when he becomes involved in a mystery. And then it cuts to Bruce Wayne walking through the lobby of his hotel, preparing to depart when he sees a man who he thinks he recognizes, only to find when walking up to greet him that the man is not who he thought it was, but rather a stranger with no face. The faceless man apologizes for startling Wayne and leaves, leaving Wayne to ponder whether he should look further into this strange occurrence. Um, I guess deciding against it, he leaves in a taxi. Uh, leaving in a taxi, Bruce then encounters a mysterious blonde woman who thought his cab available when she jumped into the seat next to him. Before they can clear up the mix-up and exchange pleasantries, a dagger shoots through the cab window, nearly hitting the woman. The woman explains, exclaims, Oh, it's the Apaches! They swear to kill me. Bruce, taking advantage of the traffic jam the cab is stuck in, flees with the woman and then demands to know what's going on. Before the woman can answer, she faints, just as the faceless man reappears and suggests to Bruce that they seek a more private setting. Leading the two back to his hotel, the faceless man explains to Bruce that his name is Charles Mare and that the mysterious blonde woman is his sister Carol. He then recounts the time he and his sister met the nefarious Duke Dorterre at a masquerade ball, and how the Duke was enamored with Carol, but when Charles attempted to interfere, the Duke kidnapped him and removed his face with a terrible ray. The siblings plead with Bruce for his help in destroying the Duke, in destroying the Duke, who is after both Carol and the siblings' fortune, but Bruce tells them there's nothing he can do, and excuses himself, only, only to return as the mysterious and totally awesome Batman, who agrees to help them. Tracking the bad guys into the Paris sewer system, Batman is confronted by the Apaches, a.k.a. Duke Dorter's henchmen, who mistake him for a lost drunk and attempt to rob him. Quickly showing them how really dumb they are, Batman chases off two of the henchmen and begins choking the third, demanding to know where their leader is. As if in answer, the Duke appears and subdues the Batman with a blinding light that emits from his cane before Batman can subdue him. He then takes Batman back to his temple and shows him a room with a really big wheel, which he calls... The Wheel of Chance, because once a victim is strapped to it and the wheel begins rotating, the prisoner will either splat against the wall or die from madness. To test this theory, the Duke straps Batman to the wheel and starts its spin of death from the safety of another room. But as the wheel picks up speed, Batman breaks his bonds with his steel-like muscles and times a jump that sends him flying for safety through a ceiling door and into a garden full of flowers with human faces on them. As Batman wonders if he is going mad, the Duke, watching Batman from the safety of another secret room, demands that his henchmen bring him to the two siblings. Charles and Carol... I'm sorry, I really read that wrong. The Duke, watching Batman from the safety of another secret room, demand that his henchmen bring him the two siblings, Charles and Carol, so that he can deal with them before finishing with the Batman. As the henchmen rush off to do the Duke's bidding, one of the human-faced flowers whispers to the Batman that he must release them, telling Batman how to make his way back to the wheel room. As Batman makes his way back down, looking for vengeance, he enters the wheel room and finds that Charles is now strapped to the wheel of chance. Quickly using his rope, Batman lassos onto a bar on the wheel hub I'm sorry, lassos onto a bar on the steel hub of the wheel and brings it to a stop. After being cut free, Charles explains that the Duke has run off with Carol to his home in Champagne. Suggesting he go after them in a taxi, Batman instead decides to take his Batplane, which easily overpowers the Duke's getaway car. Setting the Batplane to auto mode, the Batman shimmies down a ladder and confronts the Duke. As the fight ensues, the fierce struggle unbalances the car and it swerves off the road. Batman grabs Carol from the back seat 
and leaps from the car, grabbing hold of the Batplane's rope ladder a split second before the car flies off a cliff and the Duke plummets to his death. Later, the brother and sister express their gratitude to the Batman for helping them with their dilemma and ask him if he wouldn't mind telling them who he really is. But Batman explains that his identity must remain a secret and bids them goodbye, or as they say in Paris, au revoir. The end. So the first thing that, <laughs> that I the first thing I noticed on this story is that I, um, it seems pretty obvious that it was meant to have been published last issue. Yeah. Given, given the reference to you know. I mean, it take it picks up right after the story in number thirty-two, the monk story. The monk story, and the bat plane is still not exploded. Yeah, because it was destroyed last episode. Yeah, it's certainly it's either purposely told out of sequence or it was just printed out of sequence. But right, but even the art style, if you look at that, uh huh. Because last episode we talked about how he was defining the nose a little more and the mm-hmm. the horns on the cowl were different. And here it's back to more how it was in uh, issue 32. So Right, with the, the rabbit ears just, and the... Yeah, yeah. Although the, the splash page looks really awesome. It is really awesome. Batman looks really awesome on that. That's that, that panel we were talking about last episode that's supposed to go... Well, not supposed to, but what I'm used to seeing mm-hmm. go with the, uh, the two-page origins sequence. In, from Batman number one. From Batman number one. Right. That's usually how they reprint it. So, um, and, but like I was mentioning earlier, there's some weird things going on with the covers too, because the cover to next issue, issue 35, fits this story. Okay. And, and then the cover to issue 36 fits the story in 35. Huh. And the one for 37 fits 36. So um, they're so they're just off sync by one. Yeah, and 38 is, spoiler alert. Uh, Another character debuts in 38, but Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics says the one the cover for 39 was intended for 38. Huh. And then the cover for 40 goes with one of the stories in Batman number 1. So it's it's like they were shuffling covers around and I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that Vin Sullivan leaves after next issue. If maybe there's some chaos with the stuff if he left kind of abruptly or yeah, so it starts it starts with last issue apparently. That things get off kilter a little bit, yeah. Um that is interesting. I wonder if they just were trying to tell the origin faster or I mean cuz you could really insert that origin anywhere, so it Right, and it doesn't matter. The uh the non-origin parts of last story were 10 pages just like this story. So Yeah. So maybe they couldn't get cooperation from the Slam Bradley people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That yeah, that's weird. I don't know. It could be the editor. That probably makes sense, actually. Um, things just got out of sequence or something. But I like the uh, – well, I don't want to spoil that. But I, I like the, the cover they actually used for the first appearance of that character that we will get to eventually. Mm-hmm. Better. Yeah. But speaking of that first panel, once again, they're using the uh, Super Batman logo. Yes. Only they've made it a little darker this time. I think that's funny. And I have to admit that I kind of completely forgot about Julie already. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was just one episode. I know, one whole episode, and I completely forget about his fiance. You know, it's like I guess that's how exciting she was that they kind of just introduce her out of nowhere, and then she's gone just as yeah. quickly. But what the heck is with Bruce wondering whether he should look into a man with no face? I don't know. I mean, what else has he got to do? You know, he's just—I don't understand why he's hanging around in another country anyway. I mean, he sends Julie home on a boat after she was just traumatized. Why not take her home as Batman? Yeah, and what that last country they were in was not France. It was no, it was Hungary. Yeah, they were right. in, they were in France in, uh, I guess it was issue thirty, thirty two. Well, the first part of that. Thirty, yeah, whatever it was. The first part of the monk story was in right. France, and then they and moved then on. they went to Hungary. So I. So yeah, I guess he could since she didn't know Bruce was there anyway. She he could have just flown her back as Batman. Right. Probably no problem, but maybe he just decided to use it as an excuse to go hang out in Paris for a while. I don't know. <laughs> what a jerk. I, I guess. But now you got to wonder what Julie's thinking when she gets home. Where's Bruce? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought that was really funny. Hey, that's mighty queer, a man without a face. I like to look into this, but I have a taxi to catch, you know? Priorities. It was almost... Unless he was on... Well, no, because he had to fly home in the Batplane. I was going to say maybe he was late for his boat, but well, he had to fly home in the Batplane, so it's not like he had a timetable. It was probably almost six. 
and he has to eat. <laughs> he, he was hungry. Yeah. He was heading down to La Cafe to eat. Always yeah. eat by six. Um, so what's her face here? Uh, Carol, is it? I forget. I think it's it. pronounced Carell. Carell. Okay. So by the way, people, yes, I took four years of French in high school, but I. I, I have no accent, and uh, I've pretty much forgotten all of it. So as I was reading this issue and knowing I had to summarize it, it was kind of like dreadful to think that I had to pronounce some of these <laughs> names. But anyway, Carl, Carl, that sounds like Kryptonian. But um, um, she's scared of this note from the Apaches, and, and uh, I looked it up trying to figure out why they're called the Apaches, and I came up with a little something, but then I read your notes, which actually are much better than mine. So why don't you tell the folks okay. out there what Apaches is? Well, they're not Indians. No. The the Apaches were members of basically what amounts to a street gang in France in the early part of the 20th century. And they were dubbed – I have no accent either, but they were dubbed, dubbed Les Apaches because their savagery was compared to that of the Native American tribes, the Apaches. Okay. And I found a couple links that I'm going to put in the show notes if you want to learn more because – And so my, my notes were somewhat like that, not not as specific as far as an actual gang, but it did say that – by the 20th century in Europe, any dime novel referred to a um, referred to a, a thug as pretty much an Apache. Okay. So maybe that's what they were doing here, also. It might have been more interesting if they were Indians, though. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. um, Batman ignores the faceless man and and heads out of the hotel, mm-hmm. and he just happens to get into mm-hmm. the taxi with someone who has to do directly with the plot. Right. It happens to be the sister of the man he just ran into. Yes. It's all very convenient. Yeah, it's more Gardner Fox chance meetings, essentially. Right, yeah. He seems pretty calm after just seeing a guy with no face, though. He certainly does. I guess after skinless scientists and vampire-werewolf hybrids, faceless guys are just, meh. Yeah. No face. Big deal. Yeah. yeah, big deal. Who cares? I've seen the question before. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah. Um. But then um, the brother – see, I, already, I keep forgetting these people's names. Um, Charles kind of goes into the, his, his faceless origin about you know meeting the Duke, and it doesn't really explain what the terrible ray is exactly. Like it says that it burns away his face. Yeah. And yet it doesn't look like he's got third-degree burns or anything. He looks like the question, like I just said. Right. Um, and he's able to talk and breathe and and all that. So his face is obviously still there and on some level or something. I don't know. Maybe it's magic ray. <laughs> but that's my problem with these with these Gardner Fox villains. It's like he doesn't explain anything. He doesn't explain yeah. anything. And this guy in particular, this Duke, is like part scientist, part magician, part wizard. Right. You know, they all they have is pointy ears and weird canes, and they do weird things, and you don't know what their motivation is or where they came from or how they're doing any of this or what purpose it served or what purpose what, it served what, it says he wants money but what purpose does it do to burn someone's face off i don't yeah and he wants yeah. his sister um but still you would think that if you want to endear yourself to someone's sister you don't burn her brother's face off you know that never works no yeah. it rarely yeah. works right <laughs> um so um did you think that the uh charles and Carell's dialogue was really kind of awkward yeah, or, or and the, it, you mean when they were retelling their story? Just all through the issue. It was kind of... Yeah, um, I kind of felt that way about Batman, too, at one point. Okay. And I can't remember. I guess it's on a future page. We'll get to it. Next page, yeah. Yeah, oh, the yeah, where he calls the, the one Apache a, a foul one. Yes. I don't know, it just didn't ring true to me. Yeah, it just feels... Not really like someone writing it like they have a second, like you know, English is a second language, but it yeah. just feels very stiff and not natural. I think right, like, right. even more so than a, a golden age story. Right. Yeah. This whole oh God, this whole story makes very little sense to me. But. <laughs> Speaking of not making sense, uh-huh. uh, Bruce Wayne is talking with the, the siblings Ugh. and decides that he can't help them, so he's like, "Oh, pardon me a minute," and he leaves and then just comes back as Batman. Right. And they just, oh, I've heard of you, Batman. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's not question how you know everything that about us and where <laughs> we, we were. Right. That we needed help. But yeah, cool, Batman. Thanks for coming up. I did like that comment, though, that they had heard of Batman because that means Batman is known or at least whispered about internationally, not just locally, you know, 
So right. He's, now... he's they've heard about him in Paris. Right. Um, but then later, when these the very same page, when these thugs come across him, they think he's a uh, a drunk. The guy in a Halloween costume. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was funny too, because he's in Paris, and I guess you can excuse these guys for not realizing that you know who he is. Well, they weren't expecting Batman to be in Paris. You know, right, right. Hangs out over in uh, the States. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you were wandering around a Paris subway or a Paris sewer system and you saw a guy in a bat suit, would you think, oh, that's Batman? Yeah. No. That's actually probably my favorite sequence of this story. <laughs> I love how they kind of skip the part where he beats them up. It's like yeah. the first panel is them coming right at him and saying, hey, it's a drunk. Let's get his wallet. And the very next panel is two out of the three running away. And the... Th- <laughs> And the third one being choked. And you don't even need to see how he beat them up. You know he can beat them up. Oh, yeah. No yeah. big deal. So I, I really like that, that they just yeah. skip they just skip right to the result. He's straight up choking that guy, too. Yeah. I love when Golden Age Batman chokes somebody because <laughs> it's more of a threat since he would actually go the distance. Oh, yeah. Um, At this point in his career, he would definitely, definitely do it. So Yeah. Uh, but once again, we have two, to lead up to the – from Batman going from the siblings to uh, the sewers, we have – Three panels of him, you know, running around Paris, and two out of the three are are the same freaking pose, swiped. Yeah. Swiped and again the, from earlier. The panels are pretty much right next to each other too. It's like, come yeah. on. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, they're cool poses, but it's you would have think the you would have think the editor or somebody would have noticed and said, "Hey, uh, Bob, <laughs> we we need a little more diversity yeah. here." But I wonder how much they cared. Well, it could be. I mean, I mean, these are all geared towards kids, and it's like yeah. as long as you get your deadline, you hit your deadline, you're probably fine. Could be. And you keep selling. Um, and you know, we're just a sophisticated audience now, so we pay attention I, to that. I wouldn't stuff. go that far, but yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so then the Duke just kind of shows up as Batman's asking where he is. He just comes out from behind the, you know, a wall or a bush or something. No, and, they uh, didn't. They, I thought they took him back. Glug, you choke. Ah, he comes. Oh, you're right. He does just kind of pop out of nowhere. Yeah. I thought they talk, They brought him back to... They the, could have just as easily asked. led him, but I guess they wanted to shorthand it and get on with the... With right, the and he does get brought back to the castle just after this. So after, he gets, after he gets knocked out, knocked out by the Duke's um, blinding light. Giant flashlight, yeah. From his magic wand. Yeah. Um, and then taken to his big wheel that's underground giant wheel of death so yeah it's like these it's i don't know Gar- gardner fox is definitely interested in bringing us villains that are different right um from each you know storyline they've all they ha- he hasn't repeated himself really that's for sure but it doesn't seem like there's any consistency with some of them especially this duke guy you know he doesn't have like one gimmick he 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 burns your face off he can he has his magic wand that shoots light and he has a big wheel that he likes to torture people on. Mm-hmm. So he just has all sorts of death traps. I guess. I guess he's just a, a really sick individual who likes to torture people in as many different unique ways as possible. Yeah. On page five, I found it interesting though. They show the Duke's uh, silhouette or shadow on the wall, and I found it interesting that his shadow is just like Batman's. Yeah. I don't the, know if that was planned or just a coincidence because the Duke has pointy ears. It's pretty neat. But yeah, and I will say this about his, you know, wheel of chance. It's very, uh, a ba- very Batman esque. I think it would be a very uh, painful way to die. Very painful way to die, but also it's a very Batman uh, trap or you know torture device. Yeah, just a o- big elaborate, yeah, o- over overly elaborate, um, you know, method of of killing the hero, and him having to find some way to get out, and he gets out by breaking the leather thongs with his. Steel-like muscles, it says, and and um, yeah, I guess that makes no sense. I think we both wrote this that it makes no sense. Um, he's either breaking leather, which probably isn't easy, or he's breaking the the clasp that's the leather that's used to hold the leather to the wheel. In mm-hmm. which case, you know, he's stronger than centrifugal force, which never breaks that bond. So right. So either way, it doesn't make any sense. But I actually kind of dug this anyway. That you know, Batman's just really strong and. Yeah. Could use use muscle a, power to break out. I had a note later that when he uh, is doesn't he like jumps off that big wheel mm-hmm. that we should kind of get used to these unbelievable acrobatic stunts. Right. You know? Yeah. But because they're they're not believable, but they just kind of go with the medium. 
especially in this era. So it's at least very dynamic. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fun. Kind of silly, but yeah, fun. But here comes here's where we get to the. <laughs> I I don't even know how to explain this. I it. What is with these freaking flowers? I don't get it. I don't know. I At I have all. read of all the Superman stories and all the Batman stories I've read for the two podcasts that I do. This is the trippiest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Flowers with faces. And no explanation or resolution whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to do acid, but I'm sure it's something like this. Yeah. So, so the only thing I could, the only connectivity I could come up with is that he burns people's faces off. And transfers them to the flowers. Okay, so that's it. It's like if his but, thing is he takes your face off. And then he has a garden full of faces. I suppose you could connect it that way, except we don't see Charles among these flowers. We don't even see a male among these flowers. Right. And how would that make the flowers sentient? Because they're talking to Batman. Right. And again, what purpose does it serve? Especially if the faceless guy could talk. Right. You know, and if he was also a flower, he'd be able to talk in two different places. That doesn't make any sense. So. Right. So, yeah, it's like there's just no explanation it's just like let's come up with the weirdest thing we can think of, and and uh, it'll make a really dramatic story. But this is about as as you know. It's just bizarre. I mean, yeah. I don't hate the concept, but it's it's a very comic booky type of thing. So I don't hate it, but it's it's they don't explain it, and that that makes it bad. You know. Even even without an explanation, they don't do anything with it. Right. Like he never goes back. He never. I think they request that he free them or, you know, what do, what do they ask him? They, uh, I send my thoughts to you, stranger. You must release us. Follow right. the hedge to the glass door, which leads to the wheel room. The rest is up to you. Right, so he never releases them. Right. If he at least did that, even if they didn't explain how they work, that's fine. At least it's something. Yeah. You know, he goes into this room and finds some weird vial and breaks it, and they all get released and turn into real women again or something. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But nothing happens with it, so it's just like inserted in there for no purpose. So then we have a uh, a vengeful Batman seeks retribution, <laughs> which means someone's about to get punched. But is it just me, or does every time they pause to tell you that Batman's seeking vengeance, they they draw him in the lamest way possible? <laughs> yeah, he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of op- posed a little daintily there. So. <laughs> he's just opening the door, and he's got his. You know, left leg sticking up like he's being kissed really well um, by a rugged man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny. He never actually looks like he's vengeful, but oh well. And then he's got more – we got more muscle uh, – absurd muscle strength where he stops the wheel with his lasso. With his little bitty thin – yeah, that seems to defy all laws of physics that he can mm-hmm. stop it with just throwing a rope up there, but – I guess we don't know how fast it's going, but right. either way, it's got an engine that can move it really fast. So It seems to be, at some point, you know, capable of going fast enough to throw the person off yeah. and splat them into the wall. That's, yeah. that, that's, that's kind of what I picked up from the – yeah, because Dr. – I keep wanting to call him Dr. Death. The Duke <laughs> says, uh, when the wheel resolves, revolves, it's fastest. You will be either thrown against the concrete walls to be crushed – or be maddened by the never-ceasing whirling of the great wheel. Yeah. So, but oh well. Um, I do like that Charles then suggests that he go after the Duke with by taking a taxi. I just think that <laughs> I found that really funny. It's like you're ta- you're telling a guy that's dressed up as a bat to go go yeah. flag down a cab and go after yeah. a major supervillain. I just think that was really funny. But of course, because he's the Batman, he has a plan. So. Yes, he has a plan and a plane. Which comes out of nowhere. I don't know where the bat plane came from. Yeah, well, we're assuming that the top of that roof is even the Duke's hideout. I mean, it could just be anywhere. could be where he left it. It could Uh, be, I guess. In fact, the Duke's hideout was underground, so who knows where this roof is. Yeah. Um, Or the thing has some sort of summoning autopilot dealio. I don't know. It seemed to follow him around in the monk story pretty easily. Yeah. So maybe it's just got a tracking device on it or something. I don't know. That's not even a problem for me because they had flowers with talking female faces <laughs> in this story. So there's bigger problems than yeah. where the bat plane came from. Yeah, the bat plane can just be there. That's fine with me. I understand. Um, the next uh, page, I guess, is page nine. Very cool panel of Batman climbing down the rope ladder. Very, very cool panel. I, I liked, and that's like um, 
Glade was talking. Was it? It was Glade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was talking about the different page layout. Because this, uh, this would normally be a a nine a nine panel page, you know, gr- right. grid shape, but then they break it up with this one really nice panel that takes up two panels, and and even the cape like is cutting into the other panels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very dynamic. See, Bob Kane can do it if he tries. He does. He has the the uh, ability to you know lay out nice pages, but I don't know if it's just laziness or or need to get things done faster. You know, if he was short on time, but he just repeating the same panels or the poses. It's just yeah, it's crazy. And his his positioning needs some work once in a while, or his well, yeah. his storytelling positioning. Um, but then once again, this seemed very repetitive to me. I mean, is this the second or third time that he's Jumped down onto moving car the yeah. third time, I think. Yeah. yeah, from his bat plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like, I guess they like that idea, and I actually think that maybe one of these panels is an ape from, is ape from, the Probably. first the first monk story. But yeah, I didn't look back. But it's hard to tell. I, I liked him riding alongside the, hanging onto the side of the car and fighting with the duke. Uh huh. That, that was pretty. Yeah. That was new, you know. Yeah, it was pretty dynamic, and I like that. Um, you know, the hostage. Boots him right in the back. Right, right. Yeah. Helps helps the Batman out a little bit. I, again, this is one of those things where you don't know who's driving or... Yeah. It, uh, it's like with the Monk store. We don't know who's driving the car or... I, I guess Gardner Fox villains never drive. Apparently not. But it would have been cool to see a driver and maybe the driver get knocked out or jump out or something to, to help explain right. why the car veers off the road. And I mean, they say the struggle unbalances the car. Um, but cars are pretty heavy, so it's probably something. Yeah, but if you're if you're driving a car and someone's rocking around in the back seat hard enough, it could. Yeah. Especially if you're freaking out because there's a guy dressed like a bat in the back seat. Yeah, exactly. But you're but you're right. They needed to show who was driving because it obviously wasn't the Duke. No. So I like the panel though of the car careening off the cliff and the Batman going up the back up the rope ladder with uh, Carell under his arm and the bat wings spread out it's very uh it's yeah. a very tiny panel but it's a very nice panel yeah and his his cape once again looks like wings which i'm sure we won't uh-huh. see much much more of pretty soon yeah i'm kind of sad we're not going to see that much more here in yeah. a few issues because it's it looks cool on these kind of, these type of uh, panels yeah i i'm actually kind of surprised that i know we're getting closer and closer to you know when he becomes the friendly batman who mm-hmm. smiles and has his fists on his you know, waste and is probably a duly deputized citizen of Gotham and all that. But it, it seems like the tra- there's no real transition to that because we're getting closer and closer to that and Batman's still pretty dark. And Yeah, you know, I, I think it happens pretty abruptly. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember, but... I always, I always thought it was more uh, more subtle than that, but I guess we'll see. But but the, the window is narrowing and, and he's still pretty much the Batman we've been reading right. since the beginning. Although he does smile on this last panel here. As the siblings ask him who he really is, because they're the dumbest people on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, another bat villain meets an untimely end. Uh huh. I don't really think we should count this one towards the kill count because it's again we don't know who is driving, but it seems as much the Duke's fault as Batman's. The car wrecked. True. But yeah, he didn't like deliberately make the car. Right. Fall off the cliff, so I guess it doesn't count. Although he is choking the heck out of him right before that happens. Oh, so yeah. obviously he wanted to kill him. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, I guess that doesn't count. He has to try harder. Overall, meh. No. I am pretty much um, just done with Gardner Fox, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with all due respect to the 4,000 comic stories he wrote in his lifetime. <laughs> right. And, and what he contributed to comics as a whole, it... These earliest ones, these earliest Batman stories of his just aren't real great. I mean, no. they, they contributed a lot of elements with, like, the Batplane and the Batarangs and right. the early hints of the Batcave. But, and like we said, the wide array of villains. But there's just a lot of nonsense stuff that's never explained. So Right. Um, I guess I'm curious to see what happens when Bill Finger comes back. Um, I, I just feel like the last... I don't know, however many episodes we've been covering since, maybe since Dr. Death, um, that it's been more negative than positive, which is, um, you know, I'm not necessarily doing this podcast so that I can be snarky about Golden Age comic books, you know? Right, right. 
I, I, I really was legitimately enjoying like the first couple issues and then it just it's been slowly going downhill since so that happened to me on the thrilling adventures of Superman uh-huh. I ran into a lot of stories right there at the beginning that just weren't very good mm-hmm. so but you know they eventually got better and uh, you know now I have more more positive things to say but you know we, we aren't doing this to you know we actually do like these these stories and the characters but right these particular stories just haven't been very good so no, here, no. here's hoping we get some better ones coming down the road yeah it'll be interesting because it's hard to it's hard to compare fox to finger right now because he had yeah. two two whole issues so right maybe he just got lucky who knows we'll see we've seen we've seen 14 pages from finger so right right although we did talk about it for like for an hour last episode <laughs> on, on two of his pages so yeah that's pretty promising um but yeah, I'm interested in a in a change of pace. So hopefully, hopefully we'll have some uh, more Good positive stuff. things to say next episode. Guess we'll find out. If you'd like to read this uh, this story and don't have the cash to buy the original, you can find it in Batman Archives Volume One, which was published in 1990, or Batman Chronicles Volume One, which was published in 2005. So uh, if you haven't figured out to get these two, uh, one or the other of these two by now. Um, it seems like they're they're the only ones that have consistently been publishing these right. stories. Yeah, I I highly recommend the Chronicles series. They're nice reprints and and cheaper and a lot cheaper. Yeah, yeah. I mean the paper stock is good. Not the the archives are too, but the Chronicles are just so much cheaper. So yeah, I have a, I think I have one or two Flash archives, which are just you know amazing quality, but I think they're like sixty bucks a pop or something. Yeah, they're incredibly expensive. So yeah, it'd be great to have them, but. Yeah. If you just want to read, go with the Chronicles. The Superman Fan Podcast is turning over a new leaf for 2011. With the growth of Superman Podcasts in 2010 covering the Golden Age of Superman, the Bronze Age Superman, the post-crisis Superman, as well as current Superman stories, I noticed that there was not a podcast which covered the Silver Age of Superman stories. And since I began reading comic books in the early to mid-1960s, right in the middle of the Silver Age, I decided it would be a perfect opportunity for me to cover the Silver Age of Superman stories. One week I will cover the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and eventually Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. The next week, I will cover the Man of Steel's titles of Superman and Action Comics, as well as the Supergirl stories. And I will alternate episodes in this fashion through 1970, when Mark Weisinger retired. The home website is at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com, and expanded show notes are at supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com. Your emails are welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com, and I look forward to reading them. The Superman Fan Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork, where you can find all of the podcasts covering every era of The Man of Steel. Episodes are also available on iTunes. So join me each week as we fly through the time barrier and journey through the Silver Age adventures of Superman. So, other stories in this issue. We have a one-pager by Bob Kane called What a Nut, and it's spelled like a name, W-H-A-T-T, and then middle initial A, and then last name K-N-U-T-T, and it's a little humor strip uh we got six pages of bart regan spy called the ambassador to Bolaria, and it's by jerry siegel and mart bailey then we have six pages of buck marshall range detective called the last trick by homer fleming a one page crime never pays by vin sullivan uh six pages of a a new feature actually called steve malone district attorney how exciting does that sound um, it's about a lawyer, kids. <laughs> it's called the Cleaner Protective Association, and it's by Gardner Fox and Bob Lynch. Then we have two pages, a uh, text piece called Swift Justice by Gardner Fox. 
he's really getting around this issue. Yeah. Um, we got six pages of Speed Saunders Ace Detective by Fred Gardner called The Spy Mystery. And we have six pages of Cosmo, The Phantom of Disguise, Who Never Goes Away by Sven Elvin called The Secret Treat. And yes, he does disguise himself cool. as a sailor. Um, we have a two-pager called The G-Men. Um, the credits are unknown, but it's kind of a crime never pays feature, but it was specifically about the story of the G-Men. Um, then we have six pages of Bruce Nelson called The White Goddess by Tom Hickey. And lastly, we have ten pages called The Vacation uh, about Slam Bradley by Jerry Siegel and Mark Bailey. Um, and the opener on that one is Slam and Shorty give a hitchhiker a lift who tries to rob them at gunpoint. And when the robber exclaims, raise your hand, Slam retorts like this and punches the robber in the chin. Pow. So cool. that was pretty funny. There's also an advertisement in this issue for a home chemistry set for only $5. Oh. thought that was pretty interesting. So you too can be like Batman, kids. <laughs> Even though he doesn't really <laughs> investigate anything, but yeah. he did learn about science in his origin. So Yes. And pretty soon we'll have the ads for the you know the uh, the bodybuilding courses, mm-hmm. so you can be exactly like Batman. Yep, yep. You can you can pull yourself right off that wheel of chance. <laughs> um, other books from DC, uh, we had More Fun Comics number fifty, which had the final Radio Squad strip from Joe Schuster, and that was his last non-Superman work for DC. So, sort of historic there. We had Adventure Comics number 45. We had Superman number 3, which was all reprints. There was All-American Comics number 10 with a Christmas Eve cover by Sheldon Mayer. There was a strange book called Double Action Comics number 2. Uh, there was no number 1 for that comic or number 3, and the contents and cover are all reprints from previous previously published comics. So there's lots of questions about why this comic was produced at all. Uh, apparently, apparently a ash can of Double Action Comics exists, but there was never officially a number one, so huh. no one really knows. But the the biggest book from DC of the month was Flash Comics number one, which was the third All American title, and it has the first appearance of Jay Garrick the Flash, Carter Hall Hawkman, and Johnny Thunder. All right, as well as a couple other characters that no one's ever heard of. So, <laughs> oh, and there was. Um, Two other books, not from DC. There was Feature Comics number 27 from Quality Comics, which had the first appearance of Daryl Dane, the Doll Man. He was. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I'm not sure I've heard of that guy, but I, I think I actually have heard of the Doll Man. Yeah, he was created by Will Eisner, and he was the first superhero with shrinking powers. Oh, really? Uh, coming years before The Atom or. Or Ant Man. Ant-Man, there you go, yeah. And only one book from Marvel, or Timely, this month, and that was Marvel Mystery Comics number three. I think that's the last, I think this is the last month where they only have one comic, uh, because they start a new title here next month, I think. I guess we'll see next episode. I guess we'll see, yep. Yep. All right, well, is there anything else about this uh, miraculous tale of flower-faced people? Nope. Fairly well, Gardner Fox. Fairly well. See for you now. in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll see you in, when I'm about to retire. <laughs> um, all right. Well, like we say at the end of every show, you can visit our website, batmanlegends.com. And on there, for every show, we have a post that has um, you know, links and images that relate to the show we're talking about. And you can even leave a comment on those posts. I think as of this point, Nobody has yet, so you could be the first. Um, we also have an RSS feed if you want to subscribe that way and you know follow us in your favorite reader. And we have an iTunes link, which will uh, you could subscribe that way through iTunes. Listen to us on your iPod. Um, I was going to say you could you can leave reviews that way, but we do have our first review already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, feel free to leave more. That's always appreciated. I think the more reviews you get, the more you're highlighted when people search for you. But I think so. Yeah, it really kind of brings the show to the forefront of right. a of a search for Batman or whatever. So, yeah, really appreciate it if you guys would give us a review. That'd be great, uh, especially a positive one. Um, and also on the website, you can find a contact form where you can contact us, send us email. We uh, 
we read them all on the show, uh, unless you don't want us to. So please uh, send us a, a message your, our way. Uh, it could be, you know, good or bad. Either way, we'll take constructive criticism. Um, and if you don't want to use the form, you can use uh, our direct email at podcast at batmanlegends.com. Um, we also, or my co-host, Mike, also has a podcast called The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, uh, where he covers Golden Age Superman starting from the beginning, and you can find that at greatcrypton.com. And lastly, be sure to fit, visit our, our partner site, Batman Yesterday, Today, and Beyond, which is a fan site for Batman comics, toys, figures, news, and more, and you can find that at batmanytb.com. Uh, next week, we will be covering one whole comic book again, this time Detective Comics number 35, featuring the return of Bill Finger. Yay! So thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. See ya. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, copyright DC Comics.